definitely need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. Welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Coming up later in the program, uh, Dave Debo talks with Keziah Collins and Sarah Pearson Collins about uh, their uh, online event tonight. Let's talk about race. Uh, Interesting conversation coming up with uh, Dave and Keziah and Sarah. That's in the second half of the program. Our first half of the program is going to focus on a major health issue here in the city of Buffalo and in Erie County, and that is lead poisoning. Tom Muscarello is with us, senior public health sanitarian with uh, Erie County and has been dealing with lead issues in Erie County for how long, Tom? 31 years this week. 31 years this week. And of course, it has been an issue for some time. When did lead, when did it become illegal to sell lead paint? In 1978, um, lead paint was banned in residential use. And what we know in the city of Buffalo, that the housing stock is older. How, how many houses were built before 1978? Yeah, based on our research and our numbers and our investigations, somewhere over 80% of the houses in Buffalo are pre-1978. And I believe somewhere in the 60% are pre-1940. Wow. So lead paint is present. We could probably even go as far as, say, prevalent in Erie County, but most certainly in the city of Buffalo. Absolutely. And in any of those old houses, it's like that. And, you know, outside of the city, also in the old, the Clarences and the East Aurora's and the Collinses, there's old houses there too. So so in that regard, so that's something to keep in mind for everybody, whether you're a a homeowner or a renter, that more than likely your house, if it's an older older house, going to have lead paint in it somewhere, whether it's an external, on the uh, porch where, where where would we find it, i guess most likely let's start with that where would we find it in our house yeah well, let's, let's step back a little bit yeah but yeah i mean it, basically if your house is pre-1978 built you should go on the assumption that it's lead and treat any deteriorated paint as such until the time that you actually have a, a lead inspection and know positively whether it's lead or not it's just a good idea to be safe and taking off on that in erie county we we're um, looking into potentially putting lists of lead safe houses up or doing something like that. And we decided it's kind of misleading if you put a house saying I was at a house and it was lead safe two days ago. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean it's lead safe today because some of the paint could have chipped again. So we didn't want to put that out there. So what we're rolling out this week is a searchable database of pre-1978 housing within Erie County. So if you move into a house, we're going to try to make it as easy as possible for you to know how old it is and if you should be concerned with uh, lead and conditions conducive to lead poisoning. Okay. And if you do know that it's uh, before 1978, you read it on the deed or whatever, um, you should keep that in mind. But obviously, renters would not necessarily know that. What, what I guess that, that might be something of, that would be available for someone who's uh, planning on renting from somebody. Absolutely. That's, you know, the big idea of it. If you're a homeowner, you're going to, you, you should be given that information. As a renter, you're not necessarily given that information. You're um, supposed to be given information on lead paint and lead poisoning when you move in. It's a requirement. doesn't happen all the time. We're trying to make it happen all the time. But um, yeah, this tool is really out there for them to and, see what they move into. And we should keep in mind that though there is lead paint present, most likely, again, we've already say, stated the numbers. The majority of the houses in Buffalo probably have some sort of lead paint, whether uh, on the ex- exterior or whatever the case may be. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's unsafe. It can be handled in a way where it's safe, correct? Correct. Absolutely. But you asked me before where the main point of lead paint is. It is definitely on the outside of the houses. You can the city of Buffalo, you have the two-story clapboard structures all painted, all painted windows, all painted floors, porches, 
columns, stairs, everything. And a lot of that is is lead-based paint or at least layers of lead-based paint underneath the current latex paint. It's 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 there. It's prevalent. Um, it doesn't have to be a danger. Intact lead-based paint is fine. It's covered. It's intact. It's really not causing a condition conducive to lead poisoning. What the problem is is when it becomes deteriorated or it's in a location that just automatically causes deterioration, like a stair tread where you're stepping on it and it's an impact surface. Every uh-huh. time you step on that, you're deteriorating some of the paint. The old windows, every time you slide them up and down, you got a friction surface on the right and left where it's sliding and that was painted, and then you have an impact surface inside the window well where that was painted. And you get that little poof of lead dust and it comes into the house, gets on the floors, gets on the windowsills, and then your little baby is crawling around, getting lead dust on their hands, and what do kids do? They do a lot of hand-to-mouth activity, and then they get their they get lead, and they can get lead poisoning. I want to get into what that might implicate for a young child. At the same time, though, one of the things you correct me on, I, I thought you know we're, we're dealing with worrying about lead chips, lead chips, chips, paint. We're going to see that, right? But it's not that. It's it's dust, right, that gets into a housing environment. It, it it's absolutely dust. I mean, we will see kids with paint chips if a kid is severely lead poisoned and they do an abdominal x-ray, you'll see paint chips in their stomach a lot of times. But that's an acute exposure. There's the chronic exposure of the dust, which is is the real culprit in this. Um, We don't want to see anybody poisoned, but the vast majority of the lead poisonings in Buffalo Erie County are through um, the dust and over time. It's always worth talking about I mean, it's information I think a lot of us have heard throughout the years, but what happens, what's, what can potentially happen to a child who uh, gets chronic lead poisoning? Yeah, it's um, yeah, nothing good. You know, it's the levels of lead poisoning. Um, in 2019, New York State um, required an action level of five micrograms per deciliter of blood as lead poisoned. So lower levels have lesser problems over life than higher levels, but all of them are um, negatively impacting that specific child that's lead poisoned. It's interesting, though, that you mentioned how New York State lowered it. You have a lot of experience in doing this. It's considerably lower now, right, the the threshold that's considered lead poisoning than, than previously. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, back when I started in the early 90s, it was a level of 25 micrograms per deciliter is what triggered any type of in-home um, medical-type intervention, environmental intervention. And now it's down to five today. They've done a lot of research over the years. There's been a lot of studies, and it's where it it should be, and it might need to be lower. What um can you do? You have an understanding, perhaps, of what it takes to get to that level, that five, that level of five um, that you were mentioning. I mean, what type of exposure? Where? What? What these households are seeing? Yeah, it's um it, it not a huge exposure. If you really. You, Everyone's familiar with a packet of sugar. Sure. If you have that amount of lead dust, that will poison a child. Wow. And, you know, if you opened up a packet of sugar and you spread it out on the floor, you'd never see that and anything. Well, lead's even smaller than the sugar. You don't even visually see it. And that's what's poisoning the children of the city of Buffalo and Erie County. Wow. It's... Uh... It's really remarkable. that, it, and, and when you think of it in those terms, like you said, a packet of sugar, that's nothing. Right. And a, a child might be dealing with this. And again, this is something, It, I guess the, the question I'll have to follow up with, it, it, is it a cumulative issue for the child that might have had some dust exposure last year, a little more today, next week, or is it all in one uh, one time or or one, I guess, session or, or, or period of time, I guess. Well, it's both. Okay. Um, the severely poisoned kids is usually a, a, a quick instant dose. Like I said, eating paint chips, being, um, we had one case where um, owner-occupant decided to replace all the windows in their house. Great. Excellent. You want to do that. But you got to get the family out of the house while you're doing mm. it, and that wasn't done. So the child was poisoned by that extreme load of lead dust and paint chips and such that occurred while they were there. Good intentions, bad outcome, but it was an acute one, and they were able to you know, 
get the child in for treatment and help them, you know, lower those levels down to significantly lower levels and hopefully, you know, no action levels. I don't remember what we're sure. today. Sure. But it's it's tough. I mean, it's just you don't you don't know. But the big is the chronic issues. The the it's the dosage over time, every day over time. If you're not if you're in a house that has conditions conducive to lead poisoning, which are basically deteriorated paint or the other conditions I described earlier with friction impact surfaces, you're that child is being exposed to lead dust at some level every day in all the rooms. So there's a lot of things that need to be done. Mom, mom, dad, whoever you know, needs to clean up. They need to clean a little bit more to make sure that the lead dust is as minimal as possible to limit that exposure of that child. And you'll get people that do that clean every day, and those kids don't have lead poisoning. But, you know, less than that, and then kids can get lead poisoned and then have those chronic problems through life. And we're talking about developmental issues, other types of physical health issues. Yeah, depending on the level. I mean, right now, the low levels, the lower levels is, is developmental and cognitive issues and that manifests itself when they hit school age and they just have trouble keeping up and doing the work and keeping equal with their peers up to physical ailments at the really high levels. Yeah, it's so troubling to think that in the city of Buffalo, there's been generations of kids who have been exposed to lead and probably didn't know it, um, but you know they're dealing with the, the effects of that uh, right now. Tom Muscarella is our guest uh, this morning from the Erie County uh, Department of Environmental Health, and uh, we are uh, talking about lead poisoning. It is Lead Poisoning Prevention Week, um, which is obviously worthwhile to help highlight this particular program. What's available for, first of all, let's talk about how we find out if kids might be poisoned at this stage. What, how sure. do we know? go about knowing that? Yeah, well, there's there's no way to look at a kid or anybody for that matter and say, you know, you're lead poisoned. It, it just doesn't work like that. There's really no symptoms. Sometimes at really high levels, you get cold and flu-like symptoms, but everything gives you cold and flu-like <laughs> yeah, symptoms today. Yeah, I mean, we learned that. Yeah. So right. the only way to test, to know is through an actual blood test. There's two two types. There's a screen, which is just a finger stick, a couple drops of blood, which will give you just that, an idea of an exposure or not. So if that comes up low, then there's no exposure. If that comes up elevated, then that triggers a need for a venous blood sample, which will give you a true reading of what the blood level is in that person's blood. We've had ones where the finger stick comes in at 100 and the venous comes in at 1. So it was something to do with the practice and the cleaning of the hands. That was the issue. We've had them where the finger stick was 15 and the venous was 15. So you just don't know. You need that venous level, that confirmatory level, to know if your child is lead poisoned or not. When do these children get these tests? Yeah, right now in New York State, they're, um, it's uh, required at uh, the well-child visits at age one and age two, as well as a series of, they're called risk assessment questions that the physician's office will ask. And um, depending what the answers are, um, it could trigger a blood test. Like one of the questions is, do you live in a house that was built pre-1978? If it's yes, you should get a finger stick. Gotcha. Um, you know, and then all those lead um, tests are uploaded to New York State. Then they're downloaded to Erie County on a daily basis. We sort them and go through them and then act accordingly based on the level and the type of test. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that process, but to, just to follow up on that, are all children that we think would be living in these environments where there is the presence of lead paint? Are they all? Are they may be getting a test test or not. We don't know necessarily, but is that information making its way to New York State and then to Erie County? Are, do we know what the, the impact of lead on all children, I guess is what I'm asking? We know the impact on lead on all children that were tested. Tested. Um, unfortunately, we're not at 100% compliance rate. Okay. Um, Erie County is well above the curve in New York State. We are in the neighborhood of somewhere around 73, 4% at ages one and ages two of testing, which is fantastic. 
Um, but not fantastic compared to other fantastic places. compared yeah. to other places, but it's not great. We need to be at a hundred. Sure. We need we need all the the parents to say I, I I want this test. You know, you know we just it should be. It's just something that has to be done for the kids. If you're a parent living in the city of Buffalo, uh, and unless you know your house is a newer house, you should make sure that toddler is being tested. Absolutely, but even even the newer house isn't thing. I I live in a newer house, but. I went to Buffalo Reuse ah. and bought a nice old mantle and put it in my house. So you got to remember that. that that That's the new thing. We reuse, recycle. Sure. People are bringing old, possibly lead-painted items into their new houses. So it's just, you know, get your kids tested. Curious, though, how, how did you handle the mantle then? What did you do? I, doing this for a living, I, right. you know, I, I, I imposed my lead safe. Um, practices. I Put made that sure hat it, on, did you? Yeah, yeah, I made sure it was intact before I brought it in, and then we did what we did to it and then repainted it. Okay. All right. So the mantle in Tom's house is safe. It is. All right. We've got that. Uh, that's good. But let's talk about that, that that process then. Like you said, you get highlighted. The department uh, gets notified of, of these poisoning cases. How, how many do you get? Too many. Wow. Uh, <laughs> put it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, we get medically... Which is means the blood level tests are up there, somewhere in the neighborhood of probably four, five, six hundred that are confirmed positive in a given year. Wow. Um, those, some of those are second tests are taken and they go down, and then they're not. We don't need to do an environmental intervention, but in general, we get about four hundred and fifty to five hundred referrals to our inspection side of the house to go out and do an intervention and an assessment and an inspection to see what conditions conduce to the lead poisoning and where the lead is in these houses. It's a lot. And it's, you know, it's too much. It's, I keep saying that, but yeah, it no, is. It no, just, and, and it's, it's worth It's saying. really what it is. It's, it should be zero. I mean, it, it's 2022. 20, we, lead poisoning should be something of the past, but it's not. And it's getting better and it's slowly declining, but- the rates are still up there, at least in you know Buffalo Erie County, and we're trying to chip away at it and get those levels down. A lot of it is education and intervention. Primary prevention has been a big focus the last 10, 15 years, which has, I think, helped get our, our numbers down lower and um, our testing rates higher. It's nice, and it's uh, worth noting, and I guess some sort of uh, congratulations in the sense that the, the numbers... Are better, but I, as you were as we were talking here, and I almost got off my uh, fingers and toes here to try to count. So, if we have, let's say, just as an example, 500 cases in Erie County, and we're only getting 73 percent tested, that means there are X number of other cases most likely occurring. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're we we get somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, 12,000 blood lead tests a year. Um, it probably should be much higher than that, based on the number of children born right you know the right. year before or two mm -hmm. years before i'm not totally up to speed on what those numbers are but our percentage you know we're getting too much that right. just it's I, I it kills me every time i see one and i see the lists and you know i see monday mornings are always the worst with the number of week cases we get you know you talked about that homeowner who did the right thing replaced the windows and the doors and did the right thing and unfortunately exposed mm -hmm. uh their child to uh to lead poisoning but that, I don't want to say that's the main, pro not the main problem and necessarily accuse a certain portion of the homeowner or owners in the city. But I would have to think when it comes to rentals, this is a, a bigger issue. Is that what you're finding? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, back in, I want to say, 17, 18, we, um, in conjunction with the Community Foundation for Greater Buffalo, um, initiated a, a study to see just where the lead poisonings are happening. And based on our historical data in Buffalo and Erie County, the lead poisonings are happening in single family or one and two family residential dwellings. Okay. That's the problem in Buffalo, New York. Other places across the state, it's row houses, townhouses, apartment buildings. Here, it's your standard double and triple that are, okay. are causing the poisonings. All right. So- Something to be aware of if you're if you're one of those renters, and I know that's something that your department has really tried to get that word out. How do you go about doing it? Oh, well, a lots bunch of ways. ways. <laughs> lots of ways. Um, we have our our core programs, 
which I'll get into a little bit. We have our Childhood Lead Poisoning Prevention Program, which is the one that we've just been talking about, the one that responds to the elevations. We have our primary prevention programs, which works throughout um, Erie County, partially New York funded, partially Erie County funded, that we try to get to the houses before someone's poisoned. We'll, We'll respond to, you know, a mom calls up and say, hey, I just moved into this house. There's some deteriorated paint. Can you come and talk to me about and lead poisoning. And you do get calls like that? You Absolutely. Do. Okay, good. Absolutely. All right, good. Calls, emails, referrals. We work with some of the Section 8 um, rental housing providers in the area to get referrals for deteriorated pain. We work with the city of Buffalo. We work with some of the local housing agencies to get referrals and work with them. We work with Buffalo Perinatal Prenatal. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They work with moms and babies. Great place to work with. That They're getting us in the houses where the kids are to help them you know, not be poisoned. Um, and then, so how, once you get a referral, once somebody calls to say, we got lead, uh, uh, lead chips, uh, chip paint in, in the household, mm-hmm. what can you do then? If, again, if it's a renter, what can you do or what can well, your department do? We, either way, we'll put the owner of the place under some form of a notice. If it's an elevation, they are put under what we call a notice in demand, which is a little, has a little more um, weight to it. If it's a primary prevention activity, the Erie County Sanitary Code gives us the ability to assume lead on a visual inspection okay. in a pre-1978 house. All right. So we make sure everything's in place. We go out. We look for all the deteriorated locations, and we notify the owner um, of a violation that they have conditions conducive to lead poisoning, and they need to do one of two things, hire someone to prove us wrong or get trained or hire a trained professional. Does somebody, do, they, do, do they actually hire people to try to prove you wrong? We haven't seen that yet because okay. it's, um, it's cost prohibitive to do that. I would that. think, yeah. It's, it, it's less expensive to do the work in a lead-safe manner than it is to hire somebody to tell you that two of the 10 areas don't have lead. Sure. And you still got to do it in a lead-safe manner. I don't want to necessarily generalize, but, I mean, do you get a lot of the a sense of denial from some of we'll, these uh, owners? We'll get the calls initially, and then when we explain it to them, most of them will, will see the way. But we still have problems. I mean, we, we refer our unfortunate number to um, City of Buffalo Housing Court for enforcement for noncompliance. Uh, it's, um, I, I'm getting off the topic here a little bit. I wanted to I'm going to talk about this case in general, and I know I don't expect you to comment on it necessarily specifically as much as you, but give us as much information. There was a, a case, it came, uh, the news story came out in August, South Buffalo landlord was uh, found guilty and sentenced um, to knowing that he had a lead issue, a lead problem with his rentals, notified by your department, and then yet went and rented that um, that facility again. And just take us through as best you can how that all worked, because it's interesting to see what your department can do to try to make this a flagged, uh, you know, flagged situation for any potential renter and what this landlord uh, went and did, went and, uh, uh, did to, to their um, uh, sure. renter. Yeah. Sure. I, I, I'll talk general, sure. general what we do, because it's, we do it for everybody. It doesn't, you know, matter. It's just some people bubble. Right, but I just I, I find this problems. case. I mean, when you read the details of the case, it's it feels quite egregious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what we do is we go out, we do our inspection, we put the owner on notice. At any point that unit becomes vacant, we will uh, vacant and the work isn't done. We will put what we call a do not occupy commissioner's order on the house. We post. Post it on, physically, physically on post the, it on, on the, the house, house. Okay, on the all the doors to that unit. We notify the owner via regular mail, via certified mail, via phone calls to let them know that this is the case and they cannot rent this unit until they do the work in a proper manner. And most abide either by keeping it vacant or doing the work. Occasionally, we get one that ignores us and pulls the orders off and reoccupies the unit, sometimes with families, sometimes not with families, sometimes new poisonings happen. And, you know, it's just, it's terrible. This partnership with the Erie County DA's office is fantastic, and we love working with them and doing this and getting that word out there so it doesn't happen. I think it's helping it not to be 
as big of a problem. Right. It's worth landlords to know that there is enforcement behind these issues. Absolutely. You know, we're having that enforcement through them with these issues, plus also with um, landlords that own multiple properties that play games with ownership by changing LLCs and swapping it back and forth with each other to, really? get, to get out of violation notices. Because we're unfortunately- They change their LLCs to get out of violation notices. Yeah, because once a new- Even op- though they know there's lead poisoning inside yeah. their, their facility. Yeah. And we have to start over at that point because it's a new owner. So wow. we made a, we're in a partnership with the city of Buffalo and the New York State Attorney General's office to um, refer these type of groups to the AG's office to investigate and enforce. And we had one over the summer that um, was in the news that we found that did this and was found guilty and is in the process of being sentenced. Well, that's almost certainly a welcome news with uh, Tom Muscarella from uh, the Erie County Department of Health. He's a senior uh, public health sanitarian. He's been dealing with lead issues now for 31 years uh, this week. Yeah. So congratulations on that, Tom. And and for the effort, because, it, you know, it's and I, and I can hear it in your voice to a certain extent. There's the, the sense that you understand that this is a problem that can be solved, but it isn't going away anytime soon. No, it's it's not. And fortunate it, it should be. You know, we've been I've been doing it for 30 years and it's it's better. You know, you know, it used to be for I don't know, numbers say it was 10 percent of right. the people tested were positive. Now we're down to one percent of the people tested are positive. But we're still getting kids tested that are positive. Right. You know, the word needs to get out there. People need to know that lead poisoning still is exists and is a problem. I, I, many people just don't think it's an issue anymore. Right. You're so removed from it, you don't even think about it. Uh, we, we don't want that. We want you to, to know that it's there and you be aware of it no matter where you're living. You know, there's, like I said before, you could bring it into your house and not know it. You know, we we need to take care of the kids. The kids are the future. They are the ones that you know, are going to be taking care of us and leading and going right. forward. We want to give them every opportunity to be the best that they can be for their lives. There is a bit of a housing crunch. I think we all know a little bit about that. And uh, when it comes to affordable housing, that's its own issue within itself. So I can imagine maybe some renters feeling perhaps, hey, I'm lucky I've got a place. You know, I need a place for my kids. I've got this place. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to get in trouble with my landlord. Is that a is that a real situation? Do you do you, is that? Yeah, it is. We 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 run into that. Um, we do our best to, to talk to them about lead and educate them and try to get in. But every once in a while, they tell us no, and we, you know, you can't, we yeah. can't really do much after that. If they say no and they understand it, and we leave them the information and say, you know, if you change your mind. Let us know. Keep getting your kid tested, and you know we'll do everything we can for you. Do uh, I mean I'm getting a little outside your area of um, expertise, but do these renters have rights when it comes to this type of thing, type of thing? Are they backed up by the law? Uh, like I said, I, I could see a renter. I've got a family. I've got little kids. I'm lucky to have a place. They say there might be an issue here. I'm, I don't necessarily want to believe it, or whatever the case may be. But I most certainly don't want to make waves with this landlord. Do they have? Are they? Do they have some sort of legal backing for them as 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 renters? They they do, but I, I am definitely not the one sure. first in talking about okay. that. I can point you to someone that could. Okay. If you want. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very good. You might be getting a few phone calls here, Tom, when we're all said and done. Uh, we're coming down to our last couple of minutes here, so I want to make sure that we get all the information out that we can when it comes to prevention. We some of the things that maybe we didn't touch upon that you really think are are vital. Just, just we've said it. I'll just say sure. it one more time. You know, look at the paint in your houses. Well, first off, know how old your house is. Use this new tool that we're rolling out this week. Look it up. See what, what age your house is. You know, if your house is 1960, you should be worried, but not super concerned as if it was 1920s. You know, you should still be aware of it and know and tell your landlord or yourself if you're the one that's going to be doing the fixing because you own it. That's the big thing is be aware of your surroundings, know what's there, do the cleaning, get educated on lead poisoning so it doesn't affect you and your family. I mean, we're there. You can call us. Our phone number is 716-961-6800. 
We're there 8.30 to 4.30, Monday through Friday to call. Uh, you could email at leadsafe, all one word, at erie.gov. Um, generic questions or anything like that, and that'll get to somebody that can answer that question for you. You can ask for us to come out to your house. Um, we can, you know, you'll see us at different events through. We work with other some groups and um, table and talk to people. We're in the libraries in um, the high-risk zip codes in Buffalo, which I didn't get into, okay. which are basically the east and west side of Buffalo. There's 10 of them. Um, we're in those, those libraries this week um, oh, promoting and getting some information out. And we're just, we're there. We're always there. We want to do it. We are trying to eradicate lead poisoning one house, one person at a time. The assessment, though, sounds like this area, at least it's, 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 it's got a, a certain sense of urgency to it that is encouraging, I would have to say. Yes. Yeah. There, it, there's a lot of people working really hard at this problem and trying to make it go away. Well, Tom Muscarella, uh, again, congratulations on your 31 years Thank in, you. <laughs> with the uh, County Health Department. Thanks for bringing this information to us. Uh, it was uh, nice having you. Again, the, the website where people can go? Uh, website is uh, slash health. Okay. Or um, I'll say the email one more time leadsafe at erie.gov. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. This is Dave Debo. Some of you may have already done it in groups and workshops across the region, but tonight at 6.30, you get a chance to pull the race card. It's an exercise designed to get people talking about race in a non-judgmental way. And there is a public session tonight taking place at the Self-Advocacy Association's offices at 1021 Broadway, diagonally across from the Broadway market. It is an open event sponsored by the League of Women Voters, SANES, the Buffalo NAACP, Westminster Presbyterian Church, and a lot of others. And it's really, I think you can say, fun with a purpose. It is the brainchild of two sisters, Sarah Pearson Collins and Kaziah Pearson. They have created this game. It's kind of like Trivial Pursuit, and they're here to talk a little bit about it. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Thank you for, for having, having us. us. All right, so let's get right into it and play a round of the game as a demonstration of the race card. I think if, if we can describe it, it's a bit like Cards Against Humanity, but yours specifically yes. deals with race. Yes, it does. Uh, so ours is actually a um, conversation starter, more so than a game. Um, the way that it is, it is played, <laughs> even though it's not a game. The way that it's done is that each um, participant gets a fact and a fiction card, and then a statement is drawn from the deck. Um, it's read, and you decide whether you, based on how you're programmed, whether it is fact or fiction for you. And then that's where the conversation starts. Okay. And, and I imagine each player brings to the table... A, a different level of yes. implicit bias. Yes. Which means what I think might be a fact for you could easily be a fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And that starts the conversation. Definitely. Correct. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to promote conversation. And then she, she failed to mention that there is a QR code <laughs> on the uh, on the card. So when you get to a card and you're not sure of, you know, whether or not it's fact or fiction, you're able to scan the code, um, go to an article, video, or a statistic in regards to the conversation. So it's more than just talking about yes. it. It's actual education. Yes, it is. Absolutely. It is. Let, let, yeah. Let's play around and then we'll talk a little bit more about where the idea came from. Okay. Um, grab, grab a card and, and now do I just pick this up and read it out loud? <laughs> yes, you can if you want All to. All right. Go ahead. Okay, there's my card. Now, I can, before you begin, I can tell you that some of the statements aren't fact or fiction. It's based on how you are programmed, okay. too. So some of them are exactly a fact or fiction. And, and I imagine, too, it gets into interpretation. Yes. But let's use this one as an example. Okay. I've drawn this card. I flip it over, and it says African Americans are overly sensitive about instances of racism. Yes. I get to choose whether that's fact or fiction. Yes. Correct. You, yes. I think I would say fiction because of the word overly. <laughs> but I imagine there are folks that would look that and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it really does kind of bring perspective into play. It does. But I would put this one in the fiction category because of that word overly. 
Okay. Overly sensitive about instances of racism. So that's one of the conversations that we have is don't get hung up on a particular word. So, All right. So some people might, and I'm not going to say that this is what you did, but hide behind, oh, it said overly, so therefore I'm not going to, I'm going to say it's this or I'm going to say right. it's that. You know, it's really just like, because I was saying, really promoting the, you know, the art of conversation, you know, Um when I'm talking about this particular statement, I always refer to it as I use the example about a military man coming back from combat, you know, and, and this is just my perspective on it. Everybody has their own. Um, so they've been to war. They've heard gunfire, gunfire. And so they come back to civilization. And the first time they hear a backfire of a car, they go right back into that that mode. It's almost like mm. a PTSD type of thing. Sure. So. Because we, and I'm just speaking me as a black woman, yeah, I've experienced ahead. so many instances of racism that it's almost like when we go into a room, we enter a room where we're already, our sense is already high. So we're already mm-hmm. expecting that this is what's going to happen. And then it's not until we start to fill the room and become comfortable that we, uh, you know, determine, okay, this is a safe space. And I can kind of let my guards down. So it's almost this. And so when when I read the card, I say, yeah. yes, I am. I'm very sensitive. I'm, I'm hypersensitive to instances of racism because it happens to me. And now I feel like that everything is about race. Because of your experience. Because, because of my Because experience. of your frame of reference. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Let's grab another card. Let's see what we've got. Oh, this one off the top of the deck. Black people should change who they are to be accepted into, quote, white spaces, unquote. Example, jobs and neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Um, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm picking on too many words here. Should change who they are. No, I, I don't think so. I'd say that one is fiction. What okay. do you guys say? Keziah. <laughs> um, so the fact is that we've had to. I, I was going to say, if the, if the card said black people sometimes need to or always need to. Right. I would definitely agree with it. But should? Do you think you should? I don't feel that we should. Um, I don't think that we should either. But but then the way society has it set up, like, there's expectations. And so in order to sometimes fit into spaces that you're not in, yeah, it's almost like that you, you're supposed to assimilate into roles. Like, I mean, and it doesn't even have to be just blacks. It can be, you know, Arabians or whoever it might be. It could be indigenous populations where, you know, things have happened to them where they've said, okay, we're going to, we want to uh, kill the Indian and keep the man. So we, we're taking, stripping you from your cultures the way yeah. you are in order to make you assimilate into what we want you to be. So... No, I don't think. I think the world needs diversity. I feel like we all bring something to the table. You know, we all have our unique cultures and experiences that everybody seems to love. But all right. then there's times where... Maybe not, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. All right, let, let, one more oh, and then boy. we'll talk. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then we'll talk uh, a little bit about how you guys came up with the game, okay. what kind of things happen. Uh, this next one I grab. Whites are celebrated for the same things that blacks are criticized. This is not getting easier. No, <laughs> it's not supposed to. It's supposed to generate um, conversation. Whites is. are celebrated for the same things that blacks are criticized. I'd say that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I'd put that down as fact. That makes sense to me. I do believe so too. And I don't have anything to go against what you're saying. So yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> no, I don't have anything to go against. Um, only thing I could possibly do is give examples on that. Let's do that. Give me give me an example of how that's played out for you. So when we're cheering for a team and I, um, your team wins and it turns into what I would consider a riot outside, people flipping cars, but their team just won and it's okay. But then if um, if black people are cheering, it becomes a, oh, this is a riot. You guys need to calm uh-huh. down. It's like we, we're not held to the same standards when we could be doing the exact same thing. Or even I, th- I think of uh, last summer in BLM protests, maybe the same sort of thing going on. Yes, yes. How does this play out? You get a room full of people and you just do what we just did here? Yes. So basically what happens is that, you know, we send out an invite, people sign up, of course. And so they they come and they automatically, I don't know why, they automatically um, gravitate towards 
people who maybe look like them. So you might see there's pockets of like um, segregation already happening yeah, in the room. Yeah. And so what we do is we we change, you know, move people around, you know, put them in tables so that we have a diverse a representation at each table. Sure, because the answers you're getting from yes. an all white table would be different than the answers exactly. you're getting exactly. from but, an all black table. But too, with that, you could have an all white table and them think differently, just like you could have an all black table and they would think differently. Yeah. But um, yes, we tried to make it diverse. Um, this last event, what we did was everybody stand next to your friend that you came with or a person that you know, and then we had them count off by five. So oh, we separated okay. them that way. So there. that way, sure. Right. And so then what we do is we give, a, we give ground rules. So there's five ground rules that we want to... Teach everybody how to do, and it's like no walking on eggshells. You know, no um, no overlapping of conversations. So we have five general rules, and then we'll start off with maybe an icebreaker or we'll start off with a statement. It just really depends. And usually what happens, depending on the time, we'll start off with something that's a little, you know, easier or more palatable before we really yeah. start hitting hard. Right. So uh, this last event, we just went in because we, you know, we only had a few Time constraints. <laughs> yeah. So you don't shuffle the deck always. No. And then yeah. sometimes it might be something that may have just recently happened in the media where we want to we want to talk about it. So it might not necessarily be in the deck of cards, but it will be a statement that we want to pull. How did you come up with the, the statements, the questions on the deck? Was it just a matter of, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but was it just a matter of we want to be provocative? We want to provoke conversation? Well, we did want to provoke conversation, absolutely. But it was each one of us came up with a certain amount of um, statements of things that we might have experienced, things that we see, um, things that might have been said to us. And we came up with our statements, and then we decided out of those two groups. Which one um, the best? Yeah. Which was the best? Yeah. You know, which ones seemed like hot hot topics? Hot and, topics. you know, so we basically categorized them like green, yellow, red. You know, what's a hot topic? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, what can we put to the side? And so based on maybe a tw uh, 75 statements, we narrowed it down to 42. So there will be like 40 statements and then there's there's four sets of factor fiction, a, a directions card in there. And then, yeah. And do you leave mm -hmm. the discussion, or do you pretty much let each table just go at it? We let each table go at it in a respectful manner. We may right. we'll walk around and we'll check in to make sure that conversation stays on task and that you know no one's over talking anyone. And then after the entire thing is over, we will spend the last twenty five or fifteen twenty minutes doing a um, debrief a debriefing because mm -hmm. we want to really check in with people. Um, I'm a therapist by trade. And we don't just leave people going out the door and feeling uneasy. So Sarah Pearson Collins is here. Kaziah Pearson also here. Sisters who together have created the race card. It's uh, I don't want to call it a game, but yeah. it's an exercise, I guess. It is. That you have taken around town, that you have used as a way to get people to talk about race. Typical event. How, how many people do you have? How is it organized? Uh, so maybe about... 40, 50 um, at the most. And is had. it a workplace that says we need to have a franker discussion about DEI? Or is it just kind of a, I don't want to say a fun event, but more of an evening event where people just kind of get together because they really want to talk? So it can be a number of things. Uh, we've had churches reach out, uh, universities call us in, um, and even organizations. So it just really depends on the need. Uh, they've seen our advertisements, and so they want us to come in and have these conversations. I think it works better when there's someone who is not a employee of the company to come in and be able to have these conversations and then to be able to leave. What is the biggest thing you think you've learned? Uh, and, and, and I'm asking that question almost in two ways. What have the events taught you? And then the second part is, what is the biggest misconception that you have discovered in doing this? Um, let, let, let's do the first one. What have these exercises taught you to? I, I think that one of the bigger things is that uh, people want to talk. They want to talk, um, especially white folks. And, you know, I, I say it. I don't walk on eggshells, so, you know, and I told them just, that. Just like, I don't it. just, so we're Caucasian, African-American. I don't do that. So I feel like that white folks want to talk. They want to talk. We, There are people who really want to move the needle forward and, you know, let's stop this, you know. So that is one of the things that it has taught me. Um, 
I've gotten, a, I feel like we've gotten a lot of support um, from white folks too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's one of the biggest things. And that was what I think probably, I'm not going to say shocked me the most, but. Uh, you figured it would be tougher, harder? I did. I did. I, okay. I would say that shocked me, probably shocked me the most, their um, involvement in it, like them wanting to, okay, all right, I'll support you, let's do this. A lot of doors have been opened for us, um, and it's been um, a lot of white people, a lot of white folks doing that, and I guess that has surprised me. Yeah. yeah, because when I go into, and I'll say white space, yeah, no, that's I have cool. my air quotes, but nobody can see them. <laughs> <laughs> when I go, I, I automatically, my, my radar is already up, and I already know I'm going to get a no. I mean, in my mind, I've, and I've been programmed this way, that I'm going to get a no. And the more I talk, and, it's, and then it's not a no. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's not a no. no. <laughs> I think a lot of times the media, the media keeps showing us the negative side of things. And I think there's more people out there trying to do good, trying to be understanding than there are people that are not. And But that's all we see on a regular basis. And so we believe, believe that that's how the world is. And I think that's what um, one of the things that I'm starting to see more of. Yeah. I, I wonder about the crowds. And I'll get back to the second part of my question in a moment. Um, I don't think you have any white person out there, maybe a couple, maybe the ones that have robes and torches. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you have any white people out there that say, why, of course, yes, I realize I'm a racist and I need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone, perhaps, and tell me if I'm wrong, has a willingness to change, but might not realize that there's some intrinsic racism inside them. How does that play out as you do this game? Uh, of course, I'm not a racist. Let's do this game. Mm-hmm. But then they they look at these cards and they have reactions. So I think we've had a lot of aha moments. Um, people sitting in their groups and they're listening to others speak of their experience. And it's like the light comes on. Like, I did not realize that these are the type of things that you all were going through. And so with that, People tend to go back and do self-reflections. Even when we do our debriefing, you'll hear a lot of people saying that I didn't know. And which is a great thing because now you do. Now what are you going to do with that information? Yeah. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So, so not so, only are, the, are they more self-aware, yeah. but it motivates the kind of change that you hope happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That does make sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, the, the second part of my question earlier, though, what have you folks learned about the misconceptions that are out there? Is there a particular card that engenders more conversation? Yes, there is a card, and um, we're able to pull data from, um, you know, based on the cards, who goes to the QR code the most. And I know we were just talking about the card. It was what? Genetics. 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 The there genetic are genetic card. differences amongst race. That was the that was the card one. that people continuously uh, research. All right. Which is so crazy to me. Genetic differences. <laughs> genetic differences. Yeah. Yeah. You think that there's genetic? I don't there, think there are. There aren't. Ninety-nine yeah. uh, percent of it, it um, human beings, yes, are right. the same. There's more I, genetic variation amongst same race than there are between races, which is a social construct, sure, sure. anyways. And it's just interesting that people continuously scan that particular card, which makes me believe or know that people are so they're curious, but they're. They've been programmed so much yeah. to think that, that that's not right. true. Right. You know, we've just come up with another deck, and it's a healthcare deck, and it's really to focus on disparities within within health providers. You know, people still think that black skin is thicker than white skin. I mean, you know, people, blacks age slower than whites, and, and these things are not— is, Pain yeah, tolerance is higher. higher. Right. These things are just not true. So, go ahead. I, <laughs> you got I, me on a roll. Yeah, no, 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 that's great. Uh, politicians, when they talk about polling, have something called the Dinkins effect. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mayor David Dinkins was running as the first African-American mayor of New York City, um, everyone said, oh, I'm not a racist. Yeah, I support him. Mm-hmm. And then he lost and the polls weren't accurate. I wonder if with that genetics question, you almost get two tiers. People within the frame of the discussion, oh, I'm not a racist. No, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. no genetic difference. But then they bop out their phone mm-hmm. and uh, scan the code to learn more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see a disparity between discussion in the room and clicks on the related articles? 
so no, we don't because so those discussions are happening. So a person may have purchased a deck and they're at home, Mm -hmm. you know, talking Uh. to whomever. And so we don't get a chance to see that piece of it because, you know, people, when we have our events, they're not scanning in the room at the time, you know, because we don't have cards in front of them. We're reading this statement. Oh, I see. Whereas these particular people have purchased the decks. They're in their own homes or they're probably having conversations among friends and they decide. Thanksgiving with the racist uncle. Exactly. Yeah, that's a whole (laughs) turkey thrown out the window. (laughs) How did you all come up with the idea for this? This is darn interesting and it sounds like fun. (laughs) It it is. It's a lot of fun for me. Look, (laughs) (laughs) for you. Your sister might not agree? No, it's a lot. I, I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. I enjoy having these conversations and getting to know what people think and trying to move this needle forward. So I was just going to ask you, does it move the needle? I think it does because people are doing self-reflection, and that's the first step. If you're thinking about your thoughts and how you respond to people, that within itself is going to cause some kind of change. At least you're going to know. If you don't do anything about it, you know this is where I am and this is where I'm choosing to be now as opposed to I don't know. And you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. How'd you come up with the idea? So in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, we were just sitting in our living rooms, um, watching the TV and talking on the phone. And we decided that we needed to do something. We wanted to be able to do something to really start having enhanced conversations about race because we don't know one another. Hmm. You know, if we knew one another, we wouldn't treat each other the way we treat each other, you know. And so that's how we we, uh, started it. We, We didn't have a name. We... We didn't weren't even, even really sure. have a concept. Yeah, it was, we didn't. It was, when we started off, it was going to be um, curriculum, like in a book mm-hmm. setting. And it was just, we went from one thing to the next. And it was like, you know what? A deck of cards. It's yeah. yeah. right. not as dry as a curriculum. Yeah. Right, exactly. Sure. exactly. And, and I said, hey, I've got a name for it. We're going to say pulling the race card because it's always something that's said, you know, that you often hear when... Trying to diminish your feelings about when something happens. Someone says, oh, you're pulling the race card to diminish how you're actually feeling. And so that's how the name, yeah. we're actually going to pull the race card and we're actually going to talk about what it is that I'm feeling and how how we got here and, you know, those I, factors. I want to ask questions more broadly beyond the mm-hmm. game, though. You mentioned George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And I have had people on this program say that that was incredibly visceral. That was in everybody's living room. It was. The video was everywhere, whites, blacks, no matter who you were. That was so touching and personal because it was right there with you. Right. And yet, a year later, we have the tops shooting. Right. Mm-hmm. Explain the dichotomy if you can. <laughs> and I know that's a big if. I think that we have gotten so desensitized to things that are going on that it it matters for a minute and then we move on. Um, there's so much... There is so much, like, uh, killing and those sort of things happening that we've all become numb. I know for a fact that I've become numb. So while we're looking at it at that particular moment, it just seems like it's just everything. It's consumed us. And then after maybe a month or two has gone by, things kind of, you know, die down. You know, it's not in the media as much. And so now we go back to just normal life as usual. So even just like, you know, you're having these protests and things of that nature. And so because it happened and now it's silent again. And it's almost like, okay, I'm going to wait till the next thing happens. And then here I'm going to make my voice loud, but it's not a continual thing for me. Like that, That's what I see. So I think the other part of that was um, that we were at home. Because yeah. of COVID, everyone was at home, and we had time to actually watch it over and over. I still haven't watched the full video because I, I can't wrap my mind around it, right? Um, but I think because we were at home, people had time to watch, and they had to, time to process um, what was going on with this particular situation. And I think that's the reason why it was—it seemed like— Everyone wanted to get involved about it. Everyone wanted to, oh, let's talk, let's let's march, let's, you know, and it went on for a while. Um, we're back to work now. 
which is if I take it back to if I take it back in time um, as far as black people go that's always been the case something bad would happen it was like okay we'll get back in the fields and get back to work we never had time to process mm. and so during this time to process with George Floyd that's how this card deck was developed and now we're back to work and it, yeah top shooting thing happened and it's not a thing and it should be still in the forefront of people's mind but it's not it's like get back to work I don't have time to think about it right now because I have these responsibilities I have to take care of. I'm not disputing so, you, but I'm, I'm surprised by what you said because I would have thought that the top shooting kind of reinvigorated the discussion, no? So it did. It did. Briefly, yeah. It, right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and then right after that, we were, then we had the Texas shooting with the children. So then, yeah. it, mm-hmm. you, you know, and so our work is never done, but I felt like we didn't even get a chance to grieve the top shooting because now Texas right. and so now the news is down in Texas focusing on that you know I just and it's get back to work you both sound a little sad about that I mean I'm sad yes I hate the fact that I'm numb I hate the fact that I'm numb and I can't feel like I'm supposed to anymore like because this happens all the time like so George Floyd hasn't been the last you know, he just was the catalyst. Like, before him, the catalyst in the 60s was Emmett Till. Yeah. You know, um, it just so happened we got a chance to see it. Just like Jet posted those pictures in the 1960s of that. So that's, it's doing the same thing, but we're still talking about the same topic. And so for me, um, it depends on what day it is, whether I'm numb or not. I've had experiences, so I'm an educator, and right after the top shooting, we had a fire drill. And immediately, instead of just, oh, this is just a fire drill, I need to go take my students out, it was more or less, what's going on? Is this a really a fire drill? Somebody said, all these things are playing out, these scenarios are playing out in my head, and it's like I'm being triggered every time something that should be normal for us, a drill, right? Um, every time something like that happens, I'm being triggered, and I'm ending up in tears. But the rest of the time, I appear to be on the outward, I look like I'm fine, but I'm not. And I know if I'm not, I know my students aren't. aren't. And I know the people around me aren't, even though it's back to work. And let's put on this front like everything is good, and it's not. We haven't dealt with these, these issues, these traumas, and we need to. So that's another part of it. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Um, what do we need to do to deal with these kind of things more or better? I think we just need to talk. We need to talk, and then something, but I don't even want to get into politics, but um, <laughs> we need to talk. I'm just going to leave that there. We need to talk. Uh, you, you segued perfectly <laughs> to my next question. I was going to ask you, um, how do you get more whites and blacks talking at the same table beyond just a card game? Um, more globally, more holistically, that's a heck of a, a, a knot to untie. Yeah. I think it's, well, I think it's definitely word of mouth. Like, we have um, been able to get white folks to come to our events just because they've heard, you know, um, about the event. People see us, you know, and it, and it, all it does is take one person in a, a position of authority to push us into orbit. So, you know, it's it's knowing the right people, um, the, having the right people behind us to help to move it, um, having the right corporations and presidents of companies. To say yeah. that we're definitely going to have this conversation yeah. in my organization, you know? and I think that is how it's going to spread like a wildfire as soon yeah. as, you know, people pick it up and say, you know what? Let's have these conversations. Yeah. Some of the people in our in the room on Friday were vice presidents of companies and uh, judges that sit on you know on the bench in the city of Buffalo, <clears throat> and then they're talking about it. So you know, and they're inviting us into their spaces to have these conversations with you know their colleagues. So it, that's how it happens. It just spreads like wildfire. You know. All right, pulling the race card is available for personal use, or they hold public events. The next one is tonight at six thirty. 1021 Broadway, the Self-Advocacy Association of New York State, between Clark and Lombard, diagonally across from the Broadway market. This has been a lot of fun. Ladies, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for for having having us. us. 
Keziah Pearson and Sarah Pearson Collins are the creators and facilitators of the Pulling the Race Card game. Information at pullingtheracecard.com. We talk about race and education and segregation for you each day here on Buffalo What's Next, and we'll do so again tomorrow right here at WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.